Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to see all of you here again today. And uh, blessing that everyone arrived safely. I suppose the roads weren't too bad this morning any long, anymore. We did feel like God protected us just a bit yesterday, too, coming home from the wedding on the uh, snowy roads. We were cruising along at a reasonable pace. Things, you know, weren't terrible. Came around a slight bend in the road, and all of a sudden, here's a very, very slow-moving car in my lane. At first, my first impression was that it had pulled out somewhere and was exhilarating, you know, it was... And all of a sudden, I realized that car is not going anywhere fast. And uh, it's amazing what what your mind can register in a few seconds. <clears throat> but there was oncoming traffic, so I couldn't. It was back a ways, a bit. I'd say a bit, but it was too close. I couldn't go around. I went halfway. In the, in the, I straddled the two lanes so the other guy has a sense that I might have a problem. And as I was getting closer to the slow-moving car, I tooted my horn hoping he'll accelerate a little bit so that I don't have to hit anybody. And I'm not even sure. I, if I was totally in the passing lane when I came up to him, I'm not sure if I would have hit him if I'd have stayed right behind him or not. But we got slowed down and stopped and got moved over before the opposing traffic. Uh, came upon us. I think the opposing traffic saw the situation and and uh, did what they could as well. But uh, safety is of the Lord. I know one young man apparently didn't succeed quite as well. I heard some young man run his pickup into something. I don't know what. But uh, It was one of those situations where it required carefulness, as any of you who were traveling knew that. So we're thankful to God for that. All right. Well, this morning you can uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we again look in the Scriptures. Maybe before we go into the message, we could just uh, bow our heads and pray. Father, again this morning, we are thankful to be here. We are thankful, Father, that you have uh, granted us again this freedom and privilege to gather, to uh, be encouraged from the Scriptures, Father, to uh, be drawn closer to you, to worship you, to uh, just be lifted up in our spirits. And we pray this morning again that that could truly happen here. Father, we, we pray that the Scriptures, the Word of God, could minister hope and courage, life, Christ within. Father, that is... Truly the source of life, and today again we just ask a blessing on this assembly and on each one present. 
We know that you have a keen interest in each life represented here and not only represented here, but every life in the world. And uh, we do pray that for us here, we could all, again, we could hear your word, we could hear your spirit, we could be changed, we could go on in our journey and uh, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. We could... uh, be strengthened in our inner man. We could be renewed day by day. And uh, Father, that that Your hand would be upon us as we go through this life. That Your purposes would rest upon our hearts. That Your kingdom burden would propel us through this life giving us vision and perspective to do the work of Christ and to uh, have a positive influence in the lives of all that we meet in life's journey. So, Father, again, we just pray that this service could be a blessing to that end. Ask again, Father, that your Spirit would give freedom and liberty to share the word of Christ and that your spirit would give us understanding even to share it. Lord, that uh, we would speak it as you would have it spoken, that we would present it as you would have it presented, Lord, that you would give us understanding as you would have us to understand it. So again, this time we commit to you, Father, and ask that uh, your spirit would do its work among us. Lord, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Picking up again here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 13 is where I'm going to pick up our context. We did look at some of that two weeks ago, but we do need to uh, keep the context here as we look at this uh, scripture. Just again, uh, well, let me read verse 13. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And, uh, you know, maybe just a comment here. Ephesus was, uh, if I'm correct, I believe Paul spent almost two years there in the early part of that church experience. And he had, it's, you would say it's a church that he had, he had, he had spent some time with them. He had discipled them quite a bit. And, uh, And so we might say they had some footing. They had some depth to them. They are, I believe, are actually commended fairly highly in uh, Revelations. Maybe, were they the ones who had left their first love? I believe, yeah. But anyhow, they were one one of what we would consider, uh, well, just for an example, 1 Corinthians or or Corinthian, the Corinthian church, Paul had to admonish them. He had to rebuke them. He had to exhort them about various things. We don't really find that here. Uh, These were... uh, the church at Ephesus seemed to be a mature church in, in light of, of, as you read his writings to them. However, uh, in verse 13 here he says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. When Paul wrote this, he wrote it from prison. He was in prison for his preaching and for his faith. Uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 tells us that, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He was in prison. 
Uh, he was facing difficult times. I guess uh, I think we're giving it a fair evaluation when we say that. Um, you know, he he was not one to uh, to drag his head in the sand because he got stuck in prison. We know that he he made good use of every opportunity, but. I'm going to suggest he was as much like you and I, uh, was a lot like you and I in that he probably desired to be out and to be free. And at times that desire may have been stronger than others, other times. But, uh, but anyhow, here he says to the church here at Ephesus as he's writing, he says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you. You know, uh, he he recognized, I believe, a potential problem in the Ephesus church here. I guess, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure how old the church was. You know, it was, I, I, I guess I think we're safe to say it was a young church because uh, a church that's, let's say it's two or four or five years in existence, new, you know, a new church, new believers, uh, they were Gentiles. Uh, I'd call them young yet in the faith. You know, he was a bit concerned here, it seems, that uh, the fact that Paul was being persecuted for his faith, was stuck in prison, uh, was being hindered. He was, uh, he, Paul had a concern that they would, uh, that, that that very thing, that his uh, imprisonment, the persecution that had come upon him, would somehow uh, stum- uh, cause them to stumble. He says, I, uh, I don't want you to faint uh, because of my tribulations. And then he goes uh, on into this uh, beautiful prayer, and I have often, I, I, I love this scripture, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful scripture. And it's uh, it's something that uh, you know I I love to pray it. It's it's uh, it's a beautiful aspiration of Christian faith. But Paul is praying that prayer in light of this comment here. I believe that uh, that they would not faint because of his tribulations that had come upon him. And uh, and it's out of that concern out of that burden on his heart that somehow uh, they wouldn't be derailed, wouldn't lose their way, wouldn't faint, wouldn't uh, become discouraged. He prayed this prayer for them. And what a prayer it is. And maybe we'll just read it. He says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him 
be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. <clears throat> all right, I don't want to, uh, I'm not going to make a lot of comment on uh, the uh, first, uh, ver- uh, let's see, verse 16, I believe. Yeah, we had, uh, we had actually talked quite a bit about verse 16 in the last message. So we won't make a lot of comment, but I would like to just refresh us uh, briefly there. As Paul is praying for them, uh, I guess you would say Paul uh, recognized that there is a solution to their, pro- to their potential problem. And uh, the solution he f- has is kind of found right here. Uh, that uh, the potential of them uh, being uh, offended, perhaps, by uh, the sufferings that had come his way. I chose to title today's message, When Loved Ones Suffer. When Loved Ones Suffer. You know, Paul, he says, faint not at my tribulations. The word tribulation means uh, the definition is a pressing, pressing together, or just simply pressure. You're under pressure. It means oppression, or affliction, or distress, or straits. The word is translated in the scriptures in a number of different ways. that the Greek word is translated in our English in a number of different words. It's translated in tribulation, tribulations, affliction, afflictions, uh, trouble, anguish, burdened, persecution. Uh, it's, it's translated a number of uh, different words. And if you remember the words of Jesus... He said in John, uh, John 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, we, I think we all agree and understand that uh, the Christian life is never, uh, has never been... Um, intended to be a life of, I'm going to say, ease, of easy living, of everything just going the way we want it to. Christ never presented the Christian faith that way. The apostles never presented it that way. In fact, uh, how did Paul, was it Paul? Uh, One of the scriptures says that they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, So, I trust, I believe that we, we understand and agree and accept the fact that the Christian life is not a life of bed, a, a, a life of uh, ease. Forget the phrase I was looking for there, but uh, better roses, there you go, a better roses. We we accept that, I trust. You know, I'm not sure how it was for the early church there always. Uh, they got hit with persecution early on. Um, in fact, they, had, they, they experienced persecution more directly, I feel, than what we do, definitely. 
And yet, for whatever reason, Paul was concerned that the persecution that was happening in his life could actually offend them, cause them to lose their way, cause them to faint, cause them to come become weary uh, in the journey. And, and I'm going to say it was probably because of uh, the fact that they were young in the faith and only developing in the faith and, and understanding the faith. And, and uh, of course, that's uh, the whole intent of a letter like this that Paul writes is to continue to develop their understanding in the faith so that they can, they can uh, take it in stride. So the temptations, you know, when we and I, you know, when we see others suffer, uh, we have titled here when loved ones suffer. You know, Paul was probably a loved one to them. They probably really appreciated Paul. I think they did. And uh, you know, when loved ones suffer, it's sometimes harder to accept or harder to uh, to process or work through than it is when you suffer yourself, isn't it? You know, it actually is that way. Uh, Someone once said that, uh, you know, God gives grace to those who are going through the experience. He doesn't necessarily give grace to those who are looking on. Uh, There's a sense of truth in that. Uh, When you're in the middle of something, God, you know, you're the one experiencing it. You're the one crying out to God and God gives grace. God meets you right there. God helps you. People looking on don't perceive it that same way necessarily and they can be offended. They can be uh, lose their way. They can uh, become weary or disgusted or whatever else you want to put in there. Turn, uh, become bitter or turn back. You know. Uh, so, when loved ones suffer, Paul, in his prayer here, he has a burden that... Uh, I believe he's praying that their uh, their understanding or their perception of Christ would increase tremendously as the solution to the potential fainting that they might face. He begins uh, his prayer here in uh, verse 16. We'll just make a few comments again on that. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. As you recall, the last time, two weeks ago, we talked about that just a bit, contrasting the inner man versus the outer man. You know, the outer man is the, the tangible one, the one we, the, the, the house we live in. The inner man is you and your spirit and your person and your soul. And so strengthen in the inner man, you know, as I pondered this scripture a bit again, I thought, you know, what is true strength? You know, if we are God, uh, Paul's burden was that they would be strengthened in the inner man. What is actually true strength in our, in our inner man? Pondered that a bit and I thought, well, Christ demonstrated true strength. And there's several ways he demonstrated it, I believe. And let's turn to the Gospel of John and we'll find a few references that... Uh, so we think about strength in the inner man. John, we'll begin in John 8, verse 
Jesus says these words, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That's Christ's testimony. And if you'll uh, just turn back a page or so to chapter 6, verse uh, 38. You have similar words. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus here demonstrated true strength. And he demonstrated it by his obedience to his Father. That is a demonstration of true strength. And uh, we we looked at that uh, scripture in Philippians already this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'll just uh, refer to verse 8 again. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. True strength is obedience in the face of opposition. And that's what Christ did. In the face of difficulties, in the face of suffering, in the face of even laying down his life, going to the cross, knowing, you know, giving his life, true strength was to obey and to follow right through with it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of strength that uh, I want and I trust all of us desire. To have that kind of strength within, in our inner man. A strength that is we might say, beyond us, more than us. It's Christ within, as he says here in, uh, in Ephesians. Again, uh, strengthened with might by His Spirit. A strength that, uh, you know, obeys, that follows through, that does right in the face of opposition. That is true strength. And I'd like to encourage us with that, you know, whether we're young or whether we're old, but I think especially of you as a youth. True strength, strength to do right, strength to obey in the face of opposition, in the face of peer pressure, in the face of uh, a mockery perhaps, in the face of humiliation, strength to do right. That's true strength. And that's the strength that we desire in our inner man. Obedience, even if it costs us our earthly life. And that's, that's what Jesus did. And that's what many have done over the years in the, uh, in the Christian faith. Obedience at the cost even of earthly life, knowing that there's heaven to gain. We could say obedience at all cost. And Christ demonstrated that strength to us. And you know, as we, as we really stop and think about it, how is that kind of strength actually demonstrated in our own lives? Is it demonstrated when everything goes well and life is easy and all the pieces just fall into the puzzle the way we wanted them to? Or is it demonstrated when There's difficulty. There's something we didn't expect. 
there's a twist in life that we hadn't planned for. That's when true strength is really demonstrated in our own experiences. Uh, so, and uh, we, we're, as we as we think about it in light of uh, the title and the, the the gist of the message, when loved ones suffer, you know, when is true strength demonstrated in the lives of our loved ones? Again, you know, the same vein of thought. Is it demonstrated when life is easy? Is it demonstrated when things all go well? Or is it demonstrated when there's difficulties? There's uncertainties. The pressure is on. There's opposition. There's humiliation. There's mockery. There's whatever you put in there. That's when the true strength can be exercised, can be demonstrated, can be uh, manifested in our own hearts and lives and experience and in the lives of those that we love. <clears throat> and so, rather than... Uh, Rather than uh, take up a, a you know an offense uh, for a friend or a loved one when we see their suffering, we can we can let go of that offense, knowing uh, that this tribulation will manifest true strength in their life. This tribulation, this experience, this difficulty, whatever they're facing, as they yield to Christ and His Spirit within, it will produce true strength. It will demonstrate true strength. It will exercise true strength. And perhaps uh, it will be a, a stepping stone of growth in their experience. And I think that's what Paul was wanting them to realize. That, uh, you know, these tribulations, uh, how does he say in one scripture? They don't move me. They don't move me. Uh, so we don't need to be moved either on behalf of Paul, do we? We don't need to be moved either uh, on behalf of uh, someone who's, for whatever reason, is facing difficulties and God is uh, manifesting His strength through them and uh, manifesting Himself to them. Another way that Jesus demonstrates uh, true strength is forgiveness. Um, We're familiar with the scripture in Luke 23, verse 34, where Jesus is on the cross and He says these words, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, again, forgiveness is a demonstration of true strength in the inner man. You know, Christ was perfect in, in, uh, in that uh, he never sinned. He, he, you know, if there was ever anyone who uh, could have justly said... Um, could have justly held a grudge. I, I don't know if there's such a thing as justly holding a grudge, but could have justly been offended. You know, Christ could have been in the sense that he'd never sinned. He had never wronged anyone. He had never. He was perfect in his in, in, in as a person. And uh, but he says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Forgiveness is true strength. And again, there is no need to, uh, to take up an offense for suffering in the life of a loved one if we can understand the true strength of forgiveness. If we can experience that true strength of forgiveness that Jesus 
demonstrated to us. And that is a, uh, a manifestation of true strength in our own hearts and experience. So that was Paul's prayer. And I'm sure there would be other ways that we could demonstrate that. And we may make a few more comments here as we go. But I also want to just uh, draw in the next thought there in Ephesians where he says that in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You know, when Christ and these, you know, these are not different thoughts necessarily, different, you know, points. They're, they're, they're kind of a continuation of thought in this text here. But, uh, you know, we kind of take it apart at times just to give us a little better perspective and understanding. But, He talks here about Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith. We know that that is by the Spirit within. uh, And yet it's something precious to realize that Christ does dwell in my heart by faith. You know, I don't see Him. I can't touch Him as such. But He's there as a believer. Uh, 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 Me as a believer, you as a believer, He's there by faith. He's dwelling in our hearts as as we give Him that place, as we yield to Him, as we... Make him, uh, allow him to be Lord of our lives. And, uh, you know, when Christ dwells in our heart, we see life from his perspective. Or he wants us, or he wants to help us see life from his perspective. When Christ dwells in our hearts, difficulties and suffering are seen from a different perspective. In Hebrews, the Hebrew writer uh, talks about chastening in verse chapter 12. He says that uh, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. You know, that's, that's how life is. You know, difficulties, uh, when we sense that God is chastening us about something, you know, at the moment it never feels good. You know, we'll admit that. But as that scripture says, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I... Uh, you know, when we have Christ dwelling in our hearts, those kind of experiences take on a different dimension. We see it from His perspective. In, uh, in the earlier part of that chapter in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, we are told to run the race with patience. That we need to have patience. Uh, you know, patience is a needful thing in this life as we think about the, uh, uh, the, as we said earlier, that the Christian life is not a life, it never was said to be a life of uh, just living happily ever after. Rather, uh, in fact, I'd like to turn to that scripture in Hebrews 12. I'd like to read that first verse in its entirety. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. 
Hey, let's look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. There that thought comes again, being faint. You know, Paul was concerned that they would faint. And here it's actually the same context and same idea and the same thought that we become weary and faint by difficulties in life. And he says that we should run the race with patience. You know, when we have Christ dwelling within and we, uh, uh, we recognize that chastening difficulties work good in our lives. Chastening and difficulties work good in the lives of our loved ones. When we can realize that, when we can see it from Christ's perspective, when we have Christ within and we have that perspective, we don't need to uh, be offended or turn back or be faint because of difficulties that a loved one is facing. It doesn't need to shake us. Because afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness as God works in our lives and, uh, and is uh, continuing to develop us. And as, it, you know, as, as the Hebrew writer says, that uh, you know, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. You know, difficulties are never joyous when you're in the middle of them, at least. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're different than I, but uh, I suspect not. Most of us, when there's difficulties and troubles and hard times, we, we find it hard to, to just, you know, say amen, Lord, or yes, thank you, Lord. Or, we, you know, we, we find ourselves wrestling a bit, perhaps. But afterward, you know, there's, there's, uh, it, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness. It works good in our lives. It, it uh, purifies us, perhaps, and, uh, and God uh, continues to... Uh, Shape us into His image. So Christ, dwelling in your heart by faith, gives us, helps us to have a uh, His perspective of life. And, uh, you know, as we read there in, uh, in Philippians, that uh, Christ made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a man, was made in the likeness of men, and uh, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> All right, the next uh, phrase we want to consider just a bit here actually includes uh, the end of verse 17, 18, and part of 19. It says that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> Paul was uh, Paul saw as a remedy for the uh, the uh, the potential uh, faint-heartedness. Uh, Paul saw the the love of Christ as a remedy for their faint-heartedness. You know, how do we, as we think about being, you know, rooted and grounded in love and uh, being able to comprehend both the breadth, length, depth, height, and to know the love of Christ? We have several words to consider here. 
were to be rooted and grounded in love, we're, he's desiring that they would be able to comprehend or understand the love of Christ and to know it, verse 19, to know it, which me is, uh, it's, you know, it's to experience it, to experience it personally. And, uh, and, you know, how, how do we get to know and understand something that, uh, as it says here, that passive knowledge? You know, something that he admits is uh, beyond our comprehension, and yet, uh, not totally. Uh, it's important that we do understand the love of Christ and that we are rooted and grounded in it. You know, as I thought about uh, being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, um, I thought about, well, what else could we be rooted and grounded in? You know, I think of plants when I think of being rooted and grounded. And, and uh, yeah, we, uh, we put plants in dirt and they grow and they get their root, their root there. They are grounded there. They have their security and strength there. Uh, we are to be rooted and grounded in love. I thought about uh, several things that could we could be rooted and grounded in. We could be rooted and grounded in fear, I guess. Huh? Um, we could be rooted and grounded in uh, discouragement. We could be rooted and grounded in sin, our flesh, selfishness. There's probably a lot of things we could put in there. But we're Paul's burden for them was that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And as I said earlier, how do we understand love? How do we comprehend love? Isn't it often uh, we comprehend the depth of love by the sacrifice that a person makes uh, to express that love? You know... Uh, If I'm uh, remember the remember David when he was uh, thirsty. I uh, forget the names of those two men. I believe it was that broke through the the army, the opposing army, and got water and brought it to David. They sacrificed their lives to get that water. They demonstrated their love for their king, for David, in a powerful way. If they would have had a a full jug of water just sitting uh, just 10 feet away and David's, ah, I'm so thirsty. And they'd have walked over there and got this jug of water and poured him a glass of water and gave it to him. Oh, that would have been nice, right? It would have been kind. It would have been good. But it would not have demonstrated near the depths of love for David that it did for them to face the, the enemy head on, to break through the battle lines, get the water and come back with it. They sacrifice tremendously and that's that's how we uh, as human beings we you know I think we all I, I suppose we probably all agree there's something in that the, the amount of sacrifice the, what it cost a person what they put forth the effort uh, what they gave up to accomplish it to do it for you or whatever it's kind of the way you measure love right it's kind of the way you measure your uh Wow, 
person really does, you know, love me, care for me, want to see me, you know, whatever, prosper, grow, whatever. Uh, so, Christ demonstrated love to us, didn't he? He demonstrated love to us. His entire event on earth demonstrated love to us. As you know, the scripture in John 3.16, he demonstrated God's love to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You know, God demonstrated love to us by sending his son. Christ demonstrated love to us by coming. And so there's a sense in which this, this love, you know, that Christ demonstrated to us is, there's a sense in which it's incomprehensible in our minds. But there's a sense in which we need to comprehend it as much as we're able. Because it's there as we comprehend that love, that depth of Christ's love for us. It's as we comprehend that, as we understand it, in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own experience, it's where we get our rooting and our grounding in love. When we understand Christ's love to us. You know, just little ways to try to understand it. You know, we know that Christ suffered many difficulties, that He endured many trials, on this earth, inflicted upon him by mankind. We know that. We know it from our perspective. But how would that look if we understood it from heaven's perspective? He left the glories of heaven. He left an eternal blissful place. He, uh, in the presence of God, he left what we're longing for to come and provide salvation for us. He went through the difficulties, the trials, the burdens, the afflictions, the fleshly... You know, his body was a body of flesh like yours and mine. It hurt when he was beat. He went through that so that he could provide salvation for us. It's an expression of his love. It's a demonstration of his love. Of true love. And it was, I believe, it was love. Uh, scripture makes that cl- abundantly clear. It was love that motivated him to do that. To go through those difficult times. In order to bring salvation to mankind. You know, yesterday, uh, there at the wedding, we sat there at the and you know, somebody provided an abundant meal for us. Somebody labored to provide it and to put it there and we could just go and help ourselves. That's exactly what Christ did with salvation. He sacrificed. He suffered. He, he, uh, He gave His, you know, He left, like we said, the glories of heaven, experienced all that He experienced on earth, laid down His life on the cross so that He could, you know, He put salvation right out there on the table We can all, anyone who will, can come and partake freely of it. That's the demonstration of of love to us. And as as that love 
as we understand that, as we grasp it, and it, and he has a four dimension here, you know, uh, we often talk about three dimensional pictures, you know, and I think they're actually now coming up with these, they have these, uh, uh, what do they call them in Harrisburg at the um, IMAX theaters, where you kind of have a three dimensional, and I think I've heard now there's four dimensional, so maybe they're trying to catch up with God. But God has a four-dimensional here of, of Christ's love, you know, breadth, depth, height, width, you know. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's an inexhaustible search for us to understand it. But the fact that it's inexhaustible doesn't mean that we stop and give up on it. It means that we just keep digging. We keep searching. We keep longing to understand its depth further. And it's in that, as we understand and as we are rooted in that, is where... Th- you know, strength in the inner man. Uh, as we are rooted in that, we, I think Paul understood that uh, as they understand Christ's, you know, love, how, uh, the depth of it, the breadth of it, and what Christ has done for us, the suffering He went through, uh, I think it, it, it rooted them in that love to the point where they understood and could accept the fact that, yeah, it's okay for their loved one to suffer. It's okay that Paul's in prison. It's okay that uh, things seem to be going against Paul. It's the kingdom. It's Christ. It's uh, Christ already demonstrated it to us. And uh, Paul's just one of those servants who's doing endeavoring to do the same. <clears throat> He goes on, <clears throat> finishes off verse 19 there, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I, uh, I think that's a, probably a longing of your hearts as well, to be filled with the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Colossians would tell us, uh, Paul in writing to the church at uh, the, the Colossian believers, in one chapter 1 verse 19, He says, for it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Christ, in Him should all fullness dwell. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, for in Him, and again it's Christ. Christ is the last word in verse 8. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So there's one dimension of the fullness of God, you know, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I guess if we're filled with Christ, then we are filled with the fullness of God. Amen. If we're if we have Christ within, then we have the fullness of God. But there's something else to consider, maybe, in this context. Just look at Ephesians 1, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about uh, the body here. It says here, verse 22, And hath put all things under His feet, under Christ, gave Him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Now, uh, here we get an indication that uh, 
is speaking of his body, which is the church, which is us. So we have Christ is represented as the head of the body and we represent the rest of the body, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Here it represents the body as being the fullness of Christ in a sense. In other words, you know, we have Christ. He is the fullness of God in us. But you know what? There's a dimension of Christ that comes to us through his body. There's a dimension of life and experience and growth, etc., 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 that come to us through his body. A fullness that we experience in, a, in, the, in the context of, uh, of brotherhood life that I would suggest we probably wouldn't experience if we lived just out uh, in the middle of the desert with no one for a hundred miles in every direction. There is a fullness that we experience in, in uh, our lives that comes through being actively involved in, or uh, yeah, actively a part of Christ's body, um, wherever that happens to be. So, filled with all the fullness of God. You know, again, I think it's, it's uh, you know, suffering and difficulties take on a different dimension when we are filled with the fullness of God. You know, when we... we have Christ within, we are filled with the fullness of God, we have the perspective of Christ's perspective and a kingdom perspective on life and on life's experiences. And, uh, and even on, you know, when loved ones suffer. You know, we, uh, we have probably not experienced it so much, but, um, you know, there's, there's times in, in, in the past where missionaries went out and uh, they didn't come back. They... They uh, died on the field. Some of them didn't live very long. And, and those are difficulties. And um, You know, we need a Christ perspective. We need this kind of perspective uh, to, to live through those kind of things, don't we? To, uh, to, be, to, to realize or to, to, uh, to be joyful and confident and not faint-hearted. When difficulties come, <clears throat> back to our text in Ephesians. <clears throat> Verse 20, he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You know, as we think about uh, these. These uh, truths that we've been pondering, uh, Christ within and understanding his love and being rooted and grounded and being strengthened with might in the inner man and all those kind of things, you know, it's, uh, it's a wonderful aspiration and we want to aspire to it. We don't want to faint. But I do want to encourage us that uh, it's not, you know, it's not in our own strength that we come to these things. It's not in our own strength that we uh, uh, can experience the, the depths of uh, 
of understanding and and uh, groweth in the, in the Lord. As he says here, his power working in us, keeping our faith and our confidence in God, whether it's for ourselves or whether it's for a loved one, whether we are facing a difficulty and we're desiring growth and maturity in our own lives, whether we're seeing a, a loved one facing difficulties and we're trying to process that, to keep our faith and our confidence in God. Because just as this verse says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You know, Paul is coming up with a number of words to try to really represent this. And he's probably feeling like he falls short yet but exceedingly abundantly above that which we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. There is a, it's, it's, uh, it's not about what I can drum up. It's not about what I can, uh, you know, uh, somehow, you know, make myself a better person as such. It's about Christ within. It's about the power of God within, working in my heart, working in your heart, Giving us understanding, uh, developing us further in our in our uh, uh, experience with God and in our walk with Christ. It's His power that can do in us what we could never do, and what we can't do for others, but His power can. He is able. He has not changed, and. Uh, He's worthy of the glory, as it says here, unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. He is worthy of the glory. <clears throat> you know, when, when we as uh, Christians uh, face difficulties, trials, uh, when our loved ones face difficulties and trials, and Christ works his grace demonstrates His grace, His strength, His power in us. It brings glory and honor to God. It does. And God is worthy of that. God is worthy of that. It, it, it brings glory and honor to God in that nothing else can. You know, like we said earlier, you, a normal life is good, everything's easy. That's, how does the scripture, how does Jesus say it there in the Gospels that... Uh, if we uh, get those words, he, he's talking about uh, how, how the heathen do these certain things, and if we if we don't do any better, more than that, then we're we're not ahead of them. You know, we're not ahead of the the, the normal individual when we are grateful and happy and joyful and and thanking God when things are well and easy and going the way we want them to. But if in the midst of difficulties and trials, uncertainties and pressures and, and uh, as Paul, imprisonments, and we trust God, we demonstrate our faith in God, we, dem- you know, we allow Christ to live in us and, and, uh, and to demonstrate His power and grace through us, God is glorified. And He is worthy of that. He is worthy of that glory that comes to Him from a Christian suffering joyfully. So, there is no need to be offended when our loved ones suffer. There is no need to uh, be derailed 
there is no need to be faint, as Paul had a burden for the Ephesus church. We can trust God. We can be confident in God. We can, uh, we can, uh, God, God has, uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we can, uh, we can trust Him. We can pray like Paul did. You know, here, Paul was the one who was suffering. He was concerned that they would lose their way because of his suffering, so he prayed for them. So we can pray. We can pray for those who may be suffering. And uh, so may we have truly that heaven perspective and uh, have that love of Christ and be rooted and grounded in it and uh, have a faith and confidence in God. Not being tossed this way or that way. Not being faint. But can pressing on and uh, resting in the in the in faith and in the Lord. <clears throat> Can we kneel together for prayer? <clears throat> Father, again this day we we pause in your presence again realizing that we are we're needy before you. Oh God, how we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for the the uh demonstration, the manifestation of you, of love, of forgiveness, of grace, Lord, many, many things that come to us through Christ. Thank you. Today again we desire to draw from those deep wells of uh, the riches of Christ. Lord, grant us again further understanding of the depths of his love. Grant us, Father, to be rooted in that. And Lord, we know that as we are rooted in the depths of the love of Christ, that truly it will solve many problems in our own experiences, Lord. So we're asking that for each one of our lives, Father. Lead us on in our journey, in our pilgrimage. Pass us not, O gentle Savior, but lead us on. Lead us on to greater depths, greater dimensions of knowing and experiencing the love of Christ and of demonstrating that same love then to those that we meet in life's journey. Father, I pray a blessing on each one here. You again understand each need. You understand where each person finds themselves. And we are asking, Father, that you would bless and minister and meet the need of each heart according to your riches in Christ. Father, again, thank you for this assembly. Thank you for the freedom to gather this way. Lord, we ask that if it be within the realm of your will, that that freedom could continue, that our governments would continue to allow us to have the freedom to gather to worship. Lord, that we could continue to confess the name of Jesus, that we could continue to preach truth and uh, righteousness and denounce sin. Lord, and that uh, we would, uh, even if we would be apprehended for it, that we would not faint, we would not turn back, we would not shrink from the front line, Lord, but uh, continue to lift up the truth. Father, again, go with us, bless us and keep us in your care. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.